Trekkies, and welcome to Trek Freaks, a part of Geek Freaks podcast family. In this podcast, we review episodes of Star Trek starting at the original series. My name is John, and I'll be one of your hosts, joined by my good friend and co-host, Kevin. Hey, everybody. Hey, Kevin. So what episode are we reviewing today? Today, we're talking about, it's a fun one, too. We're talking about the original series, season one, episode 17, The Squire of Gothos. Yes. I So this is one of those episodes that I had seen, uh, I put it on like when I'm going to bed or something like that. So I've seen bits and pieces of it, and in, in the back of my mind, I thought this was going to be pretty bad episode i had low expectations i was like this just seems cheesy and cheap um but i was uh, impressed it was better than i expected not the best but it was better than i expected yeah after a couple weeks ago talking about uh shore leave anything (laughs) seems good after that episode right (laughs) all right but before we dive in i got a question for you and this question was sent to us by geek explore pod my question is who would win in a bare knuckle boxing match between kirk and janeway Ooh. Oh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. I think I, I would answer that. I, okay. If the two of them were fighting with uh-huh. Kirk's mindset of, you know, the 1960s mindset of when Star Trek, the original series was made, mm-hmm. Kirk was kind of a, oh, women can't do as much as men do, true. which is not true, but he thinks that way, mm-hmm. or at least we're led to believe that he does to some extent. So I think he would let his guard down and Janeway would kick his ass. I like it. <laughs> That's kind of what would I would underestimate think. her. Exactly, yeah. And you can't underestimate, especially someone as badass as Janeway. Yeah. So I would like to think that she is, she's a wise tacticianer, so is he, but I don't think she would allow them to get into a bare knuckle box. I'm pretty sure oh. if she knew she had to fight him, she would have planned for it and you know do some kind of space battle or use technology to her advantage. But for some reason, they both got beamed to a surface of a planet and they got a fight. I do think in hand-to-hand combat, Kirk would actually beat Janeway, personally. Okay. Though, you do bring up a good point. Not only does, would he possibly underestimate her as a woman, but would he have a hard time hitting a woman? And I think that kind of on, depends on the circumstances of the box. Are they, right. Do they have somebody has a phaser to their head and say, fight to the death? I think Kirk would surrender because he's not willing to, to kill an innocent person like you know especially a woman um but if it is a feud that they have for some reason or he thinks she's a traitor to the to starfleet then i think he he'd be willing to to fight as needed you know i think a a, a fun question would be who would win in a fight between spock and tuvok Ooh, because tuvok is full-blooded vulcan spock is half human half vulcan that is it that, that is, would be a fun oh, question should, to talk about. Should we explore that in another episode or you want to dive into I, that right now? Yeah, let, let's, uh, let's let that hang for a little bit. We'll All talk right. about it on a different episode. All right, but thank you to uh, Geek Explore Pod for suggesting that question. If anyone else has questions, shoot them to us. We love to talk about them. Uh, but with, uh, with that done, let's move on to our Warp Speed Recap. While crossing what seems to be a barren void in space, the Enterprise suddenly encounters a planet that was not detected on the sensors. Then suddenly, Kirk and Sulu vanish from the bridge. After searching the ship with no trace of their missing crewmen, a message is received from the planet. Playful words in Old English. Could this be their crewmen? Maybe an encrypted message, or perhaps they lost their wits? Regardless, Spock sends an away team to investigate. On the planet, they meet a powerful man who calls himself the Squire of Gothos. He frees the crewmen and introduces himself. He is so thrilled to meet humans, however he seems to want to play with them. 
A game of cat and mouse leads to a hunt. The Enterprise can leave if the Squire can hunt Kirk for sport. Although Kirk is cornered, he will not surrender. He takes a Squire sword and breaks it over his knee. As the Squire throws a fit, Kirk realizes he is only a boy. Just then, they hear a voice from the sky. His parents are calling him home. They are a being or a life form of pure energy. They apologize to Kirk for the harm his son has caused and allow the crew to leave. The Enterprise continues on her mission. That was a fun episode to watch. (laughs) So you notice in the recap, I skipped like the whole middle section of that cat and mouse game because it really kind of all mashes together in one outcome. But it was a pretty fun back and forth, I think, to some extent. So... I just kind of want to, before we even talk about much of the episode, mm-hmm. ha- there's been a lot of speculation online and some non-canon stuff as to whether Trelane, the Squire of Gothos, is a Q. Yeah, and I actually have that in my notes, too. I was like, could that be, you know, before Q was made, could he have been a Q? Is he maybe a Q outside of their continuum? Maybe he is what the Qs are before they even have a name of Q? Um, that, that's a lot. I don't know, but we don't have anything I think canon that really refers back to this to anchor it down anywhere. Right. That in canon right now, I believe that Trelane is not technically a Q. However, mm-hmm. Q from the original or from the next generation was based heavily on Trelane from yeah. the the Frenchness of it all and the 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 whimsical way that he speaks while still being threatening and uh, super powerful. And I think there was a book that it's non-canon but i think the book actually says that trelane is a q but mm-hmm. yeah not not canon as far as i'm aware so i if, just want to get that out of the bag if that's true then that kind of gives us a much better understanding of q because that means that he has the same limitations or in theory the q that we know from next gen and voyager should have the same limitations that uh that trelane has that the squire has right which we'll talk about that as we yeah, at least it Trelane's yeah Trelane's limitations as we get through the episode. Yeah. All right. So let's do our scene by scene recap. Uh, so we start on the bridge. They're coasting through a void in space. They kind of talk about how it's like a desert, and it was funny that that um, McCoy was talking about oasises and finding beauty in the desert and stuff. And Spock's kind of like, "This a uh, <laughs> this void is supposed to be like a desert is a barren wasteland where nothing can live. Why do you reminisce so fondly about something so?" you know, desperate and sad. Um, so that was just like a kind of a funny back and forth, I guess, between the two. Yeah. And uh, Spock also uh, gets made fun of because McCoy says that he wouldn't understand what a mirage is because yeah. the mirage is just like a, a person wanting something so that has been deprived of something for so long, wants it so badly that it's just in vision. Yeah. But Spock's too logical for that. <laughs> right. Uh, so the planet sized. Uh, just like Earth, an E1 planet, or 1E, something like that, uh, appears, and then all of a sudden, Sulu and Kirk vanish. I I realized it was, I thought it was smart that the first thing they do is actually search the ship. It's kind of like, well, yeah, it must be something to do with this planet, but yeah, I mean, before you jump and get off the planet, you should probably look around real quick. Uh, but then after the intro, we get a ship's log from Spock. The wording of it, I didn't note exactly how it was worded, but I noticed it was different because he's reporting a ship's log, not a captain's log. 
and in in representation of Kirk, I think is kind of how it was worded, uh, or in his place. So that was a little bit different. Um, then we go to the bridge, and <clears throat> after they search the, the ship, they receive that message, and it said, I even put it down in my notes, greetings and, and solicitations, or salutations, one of those two. And they said, uh, hip, hip, hurrah, tally-ho. Uh, so they're speculating, like, could this be our crewmen, or, or if it is them, are they in their right mind? After this, they decide, Spock decides to go ahead and send uh, crewmen down to the planet, away team. But how would you determine, based on what almost no information they have on this mysteriously appearing planet, how would you determine who to send on that kind of an away mission? Spock had the right idea. Obviously, he's too important to go. Like, mm-hmm. the captain, or in this case, the acting captain, shouldn't go on an away mission. I think that's Starfleet protocol, yeah. that they're techni- typically not supposed to go. Um, one of them is, I don't remember if it's DeSal or Jaeger. I think it was Jaeger has a background with uh, geology and rocks and stuff. Yeah. And they saw that it was a volcanically active planet. So, choosing him was a very good choice. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if picking the first three people on the bridge that you see as an away team is the wisest decision. Yeah. But I, uh, Jaeger makes a very good, yeah, very good choice. Yeah. I agree. I thought that was, that was one of the, well, not the first time because we've seen this before, but they don't always make it clear why they're sending somebody specific. But I mean, obviously you want to send a doctor of some sort on most things, but the fact they're sending him as a expert of geology was kind of, interesting that they pointed that out right um and back to what you said earlier about them searching the uh the ship for sulu and kirk mm-hmm. um, i i didn't think about that either but they were also scanning the planet with sensors and they found no life forms or weren't able to scan any life on the planet so the next logical place would be the ship anyway yeah but i wouldn't yeah i i kind of thought the same thing as you was like it's very smart to search the ship, but that wouldn't have been my first go-to either. <laughs> I would just jump at the thing that just, you know, popped right, up in front yeah. of you. But it's like, uh, that's risky to just go beaming down to a planet that you don't know anything about. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, once they get down to the planet, they realize that the, the small area they beamed into has a breathable atmosphere. And they're kind of surprised by that. Did you notice when they when they take off the respirator, the the respirator technology they have, it looks to me like a sleep apnea machine. Yeah. That's exactly what it looks like. It looks okay. like if uh, if Darth Vader was in the, the, <laughs> the 1900s, basically. Yeah. What's funny is I don't think they had th- this type of sleep apnea machine, you know, in the 60s. I'm pretty sure they were thinking, you know, advanced future technology of what would convert, I don't know, nitrogen or whatever into oxygen, some kind of gases. But uh, it kind of looked like a a ventilator mask, like something that you yeah see uh, somebody in a hospital that's having a hard time breathing yeah kind of looked like that kind of mask that they were wearing that's pretty funny um okay and then so briefly i don't want to go too deep into small details but then they as they are walking up to this castle they find i noticed in that little forest scene it was a very thinly laid out set and you could see behind these you know few trees a a full-on green wall to act as like the backdrop of a forest now I don't like to pick apart Star Trek too much, but I'm like, come on, guys. You could have used like a camouflage blanket would have blended in a little better. (laughs) Just take some some branches from bushes and just duct tape them to the wall. (laughs) It could have blended a little better than it's just, I don't know, just a green wall. Yeah. So I didn't notice it then, but I did put it in my notes somewhere later on in the episode. Oh, yeah. When uh, 
when they're fighting uh, later mm-hmm. on in the episode, I just put in the shot. Is that literally just a green screen? <laughs> it looked like it was just a green screen backdrop. <laughs> they're like, don't worry, guys. Someday we'll have the technology to put <laughs> a beautiful, you know, cascading waterfall behind them or something. Well, you'd think when they remastered the episode, they may have done something like that, but they just kind of, because we watched the remastered episode, they just left it in there as a green screen or as a green backdrop. Yeah, I wonder, I know the green has to be a color that can be isolated, contrast to its surroundings, so maybe that green being kind of a dark, kind of milky, trying to blend in with the trees, maybe it's too close to the natural trees around there to, to use for that, but... That makes sense, yeah. And they couldn't use blue for much of the episode because Trelane's wearing a blue outfit. Yeah. So, and McCoy as well. Um, okay, so then we move on to them entering this castle. And I noticed the first thing I saw, I actually had to pause and look at it closer. Uh, they have a frozen statue or what a figure of the salt sucker from the man trap. Did you, did you notice that? Yeah, I, I actually used your language in my notes. I put it, it was a salt vampire. Yeah, I, I forgot what that was called. So I, I was like, does it have a name? I don't I remember being referenced in other stuff. So I had to Google it again just to make sure. Um, so I thought that was kind of funny. But as they walk in, they see Kirk and Sulu are frozen in position. They kind of got a green tint to them. I'm pretty sure McCoy even scanned them and said they don't have any life signs, right? Yeah. Uh, but then they see the squire playing piano and he uh, turns around, frees the, the two crewmen that are frozen. And then, or I guess, yeah, frees them. Unfrozens them, yeah. The F-R-E-E-S frees them. Allows them to be free and (laughs) introduces himself. He explains that he's been uh, observing Earth for for a while now. It's like his hobby. He is really interested in Earth. But what he is seeing from here because of the travel of time is uh, 900 years in their past. So, uh, which equates more or less to like the European Renaissance. I thought that was kind of an interesting take because we see is the whole castle he's in is obviously kind of uh, based off that time period and very old school Renaissance. What do you think yeah, about it was, that? It was like a an old school fortress entrance is what I I thought of it, and I I thought the atmosphere of of the whole room, the furnishings, the gold, everything, and the like all the stuff that he had on display. I thought it was really cool. Like they took a lot of time to fill that room mm-hmm. with stuff that was pretty neat and interesting and actually gave character to Trelane before we meet him. Yeah. Uh, so we find out Trelane has these, you know, great abilities of manipulating matter around him. He explains that his people have mastered this technology of converting matter from one thing to another. And apparently he can control it by his, by his mind. Um, but so I, I was wondering at this point too, as soon as he started explaining how they, they just change the shape of matter from one thing to something else. Could this be, you know, maybe a stepping stone or at least the concept that led to uh, the more advanced version of replicator technology. Ooh, I didn't think about that, but yeah, that's that's very possible. Yeah, because right now they can only make like, a, a, it seems like, uh, the way I understand it, they can only make like a sing, single, you know, uh, molecular structure, whatever, certain product. So if you're going to make a pound of flour, you can make a, you know, a block of flour or a block of, you know, a gelatinous food type, but you can't make complicated structures. So maybe. Once they see what he can do, they're like, okay, this technology exists. We just have to figure out how to, how to make it. Yeah. I, I, now I really want to see, and I think we've probably talked about this before, but I really want to see if there's some kind of like lore book or behind the scenes, something on the, the evolution of the technology in mm-hmm. the Star Trek universe. 
That'd be super interesting. If there's not, we should make a book. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's awesome. We should. Right. Yes. Totally. I, sell a book that, that explains the advancements in technology, but it comes in a big box set that comes with like little replica, you know, phasers and tricorders and all kinds of fun stuff, stickers and yeah. stuff. Yeah. That'd be dope. Heck yeah. <laughs> you want to be able to play with the props while you're reading about them. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so Kirk wants to leave uh, and the squire kind of reminds him or demonstrates his power that he has he like transported kirk instantly to the surface the surface outside of their protected bubble or whatever uh where the atmosphere is toxic so he's like dying in this smoke or whatever and then snaps him back real quick um so then we go to the enterprise where they're still trying to scan and look for their missing crewmen they can't find any uh any life signs but they do see that there's this bubble that they can't, I'm sorry, they can't find life signs with their sensors. But they do see that there is, is this area that has kind of a safe atmosphere for some reason. The rest of the planet's toxic, but we got one safe spot. So Spock says, hey, set our, our scanners to pick up any, or our transporters, pick up any life signs that it can detect blindly, pretty much. And that's a little sketchy because um, that could pick up, you know, dangerous people or animals or whatever. Uh, but Spock says, well, if there is, if our crewmen are alive and they're on the planet, they're going to be inside this safe zone. It's the only place they could be. So we'll, we'll take the risk. And sure enough, it pays off all the crewmen beam back to the, to the ship and we're safe. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to carry on. We're good. <laughs> but no, it doesn't stop there. Um, the squire was super mad when he realized that. Right. So he teleports to the ship and confronts them like, Hey guys, uh, this doesn't work out for me. Fun. You entertain me. So he then takes them all back to his planet. So this is where I noticed it seems like he just wants company, uh, just wants somebody to play with or like he's all powerful but lonely. Uh, but then that again reminded me of Q and especially Q's interactions on Voyager. So that's where I, I was thinking like, man, that would be interesting. It'd be hard to tie those threads together, but I could totally see them explaining somehow that he is some form of a Q. The main difference, I think, is that especially in that scene between uh, the time when they're talking to Trelane and when they transport everybody back up, mm -hmm. there's a scene where uh, Trelane is trying to impress Kirk with his collection. Like he's taking him, showing him everything mm -hmm. um, that he's that he's collected, saying, I'm fascinated by Earth and your guys is uh, I think human he says something about humanity being the only or one of the only living beings in the galaxy that preys on upon itself. Yeah. Um, but also in this, because there is a 900 year time gap. That's also when Kirk learns that uh, he's not infallible, yeah. that Trelane can make mistakes mm -hmm. and Q can obviously make judgment call mistakes, but I don't think Q would make a mistake. Like trying to see something's happening on another planet and accidentally be off by 900 years. Yeah. So, <laughs> A little bit of a difference there. Yeah. So we could tell from that that this guy's heavily relying on his technology too. Right. Exactly. So if he is at all a Q or related to Q, he's definitely like a child or we see a child Q on Voyager at some we point do. as well. Yeah. So maybe he's like an offshoot or like, as Kirk would say, a half breed or something. Right. Maybe he's half Q, half human. I don't know. Yeah, that could be. That would. I would totally buy into that. You write it. You write it up, and I'll read it. <laughs> <laughs> Except we see his parents later, and they're both obviously hmm. green. 
could entities but could they be the creators be of the entire q continuum oh <laughs> <laughs> we may never know but we can speculate right. i don't know all right so then uh we see the squire now that he's got them all uh back down the, he's got the not the entire ship's worth obviously that's a lot of people but he has the bridge crew um in his castle he wants to dance with the women um they notice the crew notices that the food doesn't have any flavor the wine doesn't have any taste the the fireplace doesn't even actually emit any heat so they're noticing more and more he doesn't really understand what he sees from earth at least that he 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 sees from the surface but he has no substance behind any of this stuff um so he has limited knowledge and and there is limits to his technology uh, so Kirk challenges him to a duel. They're trying to think of how are we going to get out of this, and the Squire loves it because this is this is a thing right out of that you know Renaissance time that he's been admiring. So he's like, "Heck yeah, let's duel!" And he has a set of dueling pistols in a nice box on top of the fire mantle. Uh, so he's excited for it. But he calls the rules and he says, uh, "But I get to fire first. And Kirk's saying, "I'm like, oh shit, I'm gonna die. <laughs> this isn't gonna go good. I shouldn't have done it this way." Uh, but the squire wanted to be a good sport and have fun, fires his round into the air. And then he like, kind of offers himself up like, okay, you know, my, my life is in your hands. But I think just to be boastful and, and have fun with the fact that Kirk's going to shoot him and it's not going to hurt him at all, or he's going to catch the bullet, right. something like that. Um, but Kirk being pretty darn smart, him and Spock and Bones have been talking and he noticed that the mirror behind him, he always stays near it. And he looks in it a lot because he's vain, but uh, Kirk realizing it must be more to more to that. He shoots the mirror instead of Trulian himself. And when that breaks, that kind of there was a technology behind it, a machine that he was using to manipulate everything, and runs you know seems to run his whole complex there. And once that's destroyed, he for the most part loses his power. Um, so my question for, bit, for you though for a time. Do you do you think there was a safer way for Kirk to destroy that technology <laughs> rather than hey let's both shoot at each other and if I live then I might be able to <laughs> stop you like okay so yeah when Kirk was coming up with that plan uh, Trelane was very distracted by dancing with Yeoman Ross mm-hmm. who he even made like a dress forward like put her in this like fancy time appropriate for that time that the, the setting was in. Um, dress that and taken aback by Ross and Uhura. So he was definitely distracted. Yeah. He, he Kirk could have done anything. Probably could have walked up to it and gave it like a little elbow or one <laughs> of those double axe handle smashes that he's known for. Right. I did want to mention that in this scene, though, when they were talking about him before the mm-hmm. shooting, before the duel, yeah. um, was one of the best exchanges in the entire episode bet- between Trelane and Spock. Oh, um, yes. What Trelane asks, um, he says that Trelane says that he doesn't like Spock because Spock's tone is challenging. Mm-hmm. And he's like, is that what you're doing? You're challenging me? And Spock says, I object to you. I object to intellect without discipline. I object to power without constructive purpose. Mm-hmm. And holy shit was that, that good. Was, that was so good. Yeah, that hits the nail on it right there. That was perfect. Yeah, that's like, for me, that's the entire point of this episode <laughs> was what Spock said right there. Yeah, actually, that's. That's uh, in my notes too. At the end here, we'll talk about the moral of the story, but that's pretty much where mine came from as well. Um, so what I was thinking is uh, earlier, we do see another crewman try to sneak up on Trulane with the phaser and 
Trillian stops him in his tracks, takes the gun, plays with it a little bit, realizes how what a great weapon it is and stuff. But the fact that he was able to stop him, I think that was why Kirk didn't just grab the pistol when they're looking at him. You know, because showing the handing off the pistols to each other, he could have turned around and shot the beer. But I think he was worried that Trulane might fair. be a little too quick for him and just stop him in his tracks, freeze him. Uh, but if they're doing a duel, he's going to allow him to pull that trigger because he wants to see the results of it. So, so what was the point of Trelane saying, I never miss before the duel? If <laughs> he was intentionally going to miss, like shoot up into the, the air. I, yeah, that's uh, a good point. Was he toying with him even more? I think so, trying to inspire emotion. He, like he enjoyed when he was uh, demonstrating jealousy. So he wants to see the human range of emotions, I think, as part of it. So to see him, you know, shivering in his boots would, would make him excited. Then the most uh, 1960s part of the episode happened right then, too, when he shot the mirror. Did you listen to the sound effects or take any <laughs> note of the sound effects I, that were going on? I really then? didn't, though. I, I mean, I noticed, I, I thought it was like a mirror-breaking sound, but what, what else was in there? Um, We might have been watching different versions of it, but mine, it was like a bunch of cartoony boing, doing, doing. Oh, it was okay, like, yeah. It was like something straight out of Looney Tunes, man. <laughs> it was ridiculous. I like it. It's like a Wiley Coyote status. Yeah, it was exactly like that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't I should have paid better attention to that, man. <laughs> uh so so after that, he you know, the machine is destroyed, the squire uh, the uh Trulane is livid, and he doesn't fight hand to hand, which is kind of funny because he doesn't know how to do that kind of stuff, but um he tells Kirk, you know, I'll I'll get you for this, and the whole crew beams back to the ship. Uh, at this point, they think they're free, so they're like, hey, we need to get to warp. Let's get out of here. As they go, the planet itself, the entire planet of, of Gothos is moving and ends up getting like in front of the ship, and then they try to change directions. He's like playing chicken with them almost. It, the planet keeps um, blocking their path until it's like, okay, either we're going to crash into the planet or we need to stop and address it. So Kirk uh, beams back down and confronts Trulane. Trulane is dressed up like a judge, like an old-time, I don't know, turn-of-the-century kind of judge, and he determines that Kirk is guilty and sentences him to death and has a noose and all this stuff. Uh, But Kirk is is too smart for this, and I love love when Kirk is able to do this. I like that the writers portray Kirk in this intellectual capacity. He tells the guy, you could just kill me, but how fun is that? That's You're going to be done, and then what? You move on. You're, You're just wasting a great opportunity here. And he's like, what are you talking about? It's like, well, let's make a little fun out of it. If you're going to kill me, you know, make it a challenge. You know, you're going to feel your, your blood pumping if we, if we turn it into something else. So he convinces him to, to, to make it a hunt. So I'll go out in the forest. You hunt me down. You know, I'll at least have a chance to defend myself. It'll make it a bit of a challenge. But we will only have this fun death if you allow my ship to leave. So Trillian's like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll let that happen. That sounds fun. This scene uh, was really what brought up the Q comparison for me. Yeah. Because the entire purpose of Q in, in The Next Generation was the the trial of humanity. And in the very first episode, he kidnaps Picard and a bunch of other uh, bridge crew and puts them on trial. Mm-hmm. And that goes through to the end of the, the like the series finale of The Next Generation and into season two of Picard from what we've seen. Mm-hmm. The trial never ends. So this... Uh, hit, 
Trillane putting uh, Kirk on trial for pissing him off, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> is like a, an infantile version of what Q is doing with Picard yeah. in the next generation. I think that there's just too many comparisons <laughs> for them to not be somehow related. I want it to be. Yeah, I know. I wish there was. A, I mean, and I like how you explain it's infantile. Like even Q to me, often it seems like he's acting like a, a spoiled child. But then we yeah. see this, and it's like, oh, you know what? Yeah, Q's pretty logical compared to this guy. That makes sense. Okay. Well, we see other Q mem- uh, Q continuum members in Voyager, and they're also all pretty immature yeah. like the, the the whole q civil war thing that took place just <laughs> it goes to show how insecure with themselves they actually are yeah the power doesn't necessarily mean you're smart or perfect right exactly yeah so uh the squire loves this little cat and mouse game though they play this this hunt on the planet um he he's chasing down kirk with a sword and kirk's using like sticks and stuff like that to defend himself but more so he's trying to communicate with the ship he's just trying to tell enterprise get out of here while I fight this guy. Uh, but the whole time, Trulane is still blocking his signal, even though he said he would let him uh, communicate with them. But this is because he's having so much fun that he decides he wants to keep this going. I got 400 or something like that. Crewmen up there, 280 or something like that. Uh, I want to bring them down one at a time and we'll play the same kind of game is what he's thinking. So he corners Kirk. Uh, Kirk is, you know, defenseless at this point, but he won't surrender and, and, Trulane's telling him, like, you know, get on your knees and, like, surrender. And he's like, no, forget you. He snatches his sword, breaks it over his knee. Uh, and, and Trulane starts throwing a fit. He's like, well, that's not fair. You know, you, you took my sword, you broke it, and, you know, you're, you're supposed to die. I'm supposed to win or whatever. That's when Kirk realizes, like, oh, wait a minute. This isn't a grown adult. He wasn't just an immature adult. This is a child. Like, he's throwing a tantrum right now. Uh, I thought that was kind of funny. It's funny to see that scene the way the way it played out yeah how trillane was talking to his parents i had him i was gonna win <laughs> yeah. i did it i won i won yeah so yeah then we hear this voice from the sky these we see these green kind of energy blobs or whatever uh and it's his parents calling him home uh which they're they're a being of pure energy it seems like which is kind of odd that he, they are and he's not but i wonder he just creates his body to play in or something like that probably uh, but he's in trouble because he's being cruel to living beings and his parents apologize to Kirk for uh, interrupting their, their lives. Uh, and then, you know, Trulane gets taken back home and Kirk and all of them are allowed to leave safely. So, uh, and that, yeah, that's the end of the episode. They carry on their mission. I enjoyed this, this episode altogether, but I just didn't care for how quickly and how, how conveniently that end kind of wrapped up real fast like that. I think it was kind of too easy to solve it that way what do you think so i i thought the exact same thing about the corbamite maneuver episode uh, okay when they with the mannequin and they beam aboard and it's just a kid and it's like oh well <laughs> you got me so let's be friends yeah, now it goes I, I, it goes from this huge threat like oh my god we're all gonna die and you know whatever it's a big deal and it's like oh no it's okay we're homies let's just have some mountain dew and watch video games what <laughs> right yeah we weren't just totally threatening to kill each other like five minutes ago no but no big right. deal yeah yeah uh, so, is there a way you could think that ending could have been done better in this episode? Or do you, were you? I think they could have. They could have played a little bit more. There was the mom, Trelane's mother. I'm assuming, um, says that Trelane doesn't take care of its pets very well, so he can't have them. Mm-hmm. I think if they would have played that dynamic more and just like 
threaten to leave Kirk and the crew there mm -hmm. and like strand them and not help them like not block anything that Trillane was doing or undoing any of Trillane's stuff that he did. I think if they would have just kept viewing Kirk as like a pet and just left him there and left Kirk to his own devices to find his way back up to the ship. Yeah. Oh, they, they could have said, we need to teach him a lesson. So I'm sorry for you and your crew, but we're going to keep you here in a, in a very nice cage with water and, and a bale of food and stuff like that. But we're going to have to teach him how to respect his pets. So we need his pets to stay here kind of thing. Like right. they got to teach him something. I was thinking though, on the flip side, I would prefer that because we see that hey, there is limits to his intellect. I want to see, Kirk outwit this guy by while he is uh, playing around with him and distracting him, Spock beams to the planet and looks behind the curtain even more, finds the source of his technology that's creating this uh, bubble or atmosphere that's safe, and he destroys that while Spock and Kirk get beamed out and Trulane's left on his own planet with no safety bubble. That might not have killed him, but then he can't bring them down to play anymore either. And it's more of his technology is destroyed. Yeah, that's... Uh That'd be cool, too. But, I, I think anything would have been better than just, <laughs> oh, you're free to go. Yeah. Later. This is a joke. Everything's okay. Sorry, guys. Bye. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, thanks for keeping our... Thanks for babysitting our, our son. Yeah. So, overall, I thought it was a pretty good episode, though. I did like the set design, too, aside from the green wall. Uh, that, yeah. that castle was a pretty cool set. So, there was one point early in the episode that uh, when they first beamed down to the planet... Mm -hmm. And Jaeger pulls out what looked like a high tech turkey baser. <laughs> Just, he was like scanning, uh, scanning the rocks or something around. And he goes off and leaves Jaeger and McCoy to talk about whatever they're talking about. And it, did, did you notice that at I, all? I, it's like a, I didn't notice it. It looks like a turkey toy. baster. <laughs> That's the first thing that came to my mind is it just looked like a high-tech turkey baster with flashing lights. Nice. Like I'm going to go scan rocks over there or something. High-tech geology equipment. <laughs> yeah. Goes right with that, uh, the the 1960s Vader mask they were all wearing <laughs> right. when they beat down to the planet. All right, so I give this a B minus because I think it had some kind of weak writing, at least in the end. Uh, but overall, I think it was executed well. What do you think? Yeah, I'd give it a B. Uh, it was like the character of Trelane was very well fleshed mm -hmm. out. Uh, his interaction with Spock alone made it worth that character being a thing <laughs> in this episode. And just like I mentioned before, the way they decked out his his castle fortress with all the, the furnishings and the lavishness of it all, it, it looked really good. Yeah. They paid a lot of attention to that. And having the salt vampire back for even a little bit before it got disintegrated was, was awesome. Yeah. It was a good call. That was back. a great touch. There was even another character that was frozen in place. And so I imagine yeah, those I are, those are living creatures that he froze just like the other two. Uh, yeah. So he could, you know, recolonize the salt vampires if he wanted to. <laughs> but right. Uh, did you notice, though, that when uh, Sulu and Kirk were standing still, mm -hmm. they, were, they were like trying not to move like they didn't freeze the image on the screen. Yeah. They were just like <laughs> trying to hold perfectly still. It didn't work very yeah, well. Yeah, that's a common holodeck challenge, okay. too. And they pause the yeah. holodeck and everyone's going like, ah, wait, <laughs> I'm trying not to fart. <laughs> the other thing that didn't make sense in the episode was when he pulls out the dueling pistols and says, just like the ones that killed Alexander Hamilton. Mm -hmm. When he was looking 900 years in the past, and from the 23rd century, it would have been like 500 years in the past. Because mm. you're talking the 2200s and versus the 1700s. So it would have only been a 500 year difference. So where, where's that other 400 year gap come <laughs> from? Does he, was he watching more of Earth than he let on? Is there more to, to, to Trelane than we found out in this episode? We'll never know. Yeah. 
that's that's deep. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> uh, all right. So, what yeah, was your solid episode? What was your moral or, or message in this episode? Uh, pretty much what Spock said that uh, unfettered power for just the sake of being powerful is is worthless. And I I can't find a better way to word it than how Spock worded it earlier in the episode. Yeah. Basically, if power for power's sake is is worthless and meaningless yeah, if you don't have a purpose for it. so i wrote here uh power given and not earned is unstable and void of purpose that's more or less what i got out of spock is if you earn your power just like in our world with i equate it to money because we got a lot of rich people around here these days uh somebody who inherits billions of dollars is just going to be a foolish child just blowing dad's money most of the time some of the time maybe not all the time but if you have to work for that that money or earn that power or learn that you know skill or whatever, you're gonna value it and cherish it and invest it well and use it well, versus you know a spoiled kid that can just make matter out of anything and turn stuff into whatever he wants. He's just gonna want to you know burn ants and stuff like that. So and, and buy NFTs and stuff. right exactly <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I thought it was pretty good though. Yeah. All right, any other last minute notes on the episode? No, I think that was it. Uh, a couple of a uh, couple of hiccups with production, I think, but <laughs> overall, one of my favorite episodes so far of the series. Yeah, I, I think it's up. It, it's up too. there, probably, probably in my top five. That's something we should do Ooh. when this season, when season one's done, is count down our top five episodes of the season. That would be good. That would be great. Yeah, yeah. we can do. We used to do a certain format with the top fives where we'd kind of compete for ranking and make a list that we oh. would agree that is the top five. Okay, we could try we, that. I'd have we to can get Frank to watch the whole is. season too, and he can join in the, in the debate or be our judge. Oh man, perfect! <laughs> yes, he could be our Trelane. There you go. <laughs> All right, thank you guys for joining us. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe. Uh, check us out on GeekFreaksPodcast.com, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Also, uh, I think a little bit at least GeekFreaks is on TikTok a little bit. Um, send in any questions. If you guys got a question for us about our production, or if you have a question you'd like us to read at the beginning of the episode. Uh, like we did today, please let us know. That's a lot of fun. Um, we wants wants to. Sorry, I'm stuttering. We want to thank again, uh, Geek Explore Pod for suggesting our question for today. Uh, join us next week. We're going to be reviewing season one, episode eighteen, Arena. And as long as there's no more interference, let's uh try to contact the transporter room here. Transporter room, two to beam up.